master said, Goat, are you sure? And he said, Yes, sir, I'm sure. He said, How do you know? Well, he said, I heard mommy and daddy said that uh, you know, we're going to have, have the old goat for, uh, uh, for supper uh, th uh, this month, so today's as good as any. <laughs> Don't make the mistake of saying too much in front of your children, right? Say, so you remember Betty Griffin, don't you? Uh, first, our first church that I pastored in was in Centerville, Tennessee, First Baptist Church. And we had a lady there that had been teaching the preschool long before we came, and she was still doing it when we left. It was Betty Griffin. And she one day told us, teaching preschoolers in Sunday school, she says, I know far more than I want to know about the families in this church. Don't make the mistake of saying too much in front of your children. Mistakes, they come in all sizes, don't they? And we make them all. We all make mistakes. We try not to repeat them. We try to help our children, our family and friends, not to make the mistakes that what? We've made or seen made. Today I want to share with you four biblical truths to help you from making a mistake that you will regret forever. And when I say forever, I mean forever. And if you are not making these four mistakes, well then please take notes because I want you to use this information to help anybody that you know in your life from making these, as the title says, four fatal mistakes to regret forever. So let's read here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. Now behold, one came to him and said, now notice the context. Jesus had just had the interaction with the little children. And His disciples told the parents what? You know, basically paraphrased, Jesus doesn't have time for the little children. And Jesus rebuked His disciples and said, Let me come to Me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then after this, it says, Now behold, one came to Him and said, Good teacher, what good thing, notice that, what good things, not, what good thing, not things, shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Jesus clearly said here, no one is good. Then he goes on to say, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Is Jesus teaching a works salvation? We'll look at that. He said to him, which ones? I know it's when, when he replied to you, which commandments? Now what would you answer? Oh, right, right. God gave us all the commandments. Try to keep them all. But the man said, which ones? And Jesus gave him some ones. Not all of them. He gave him some ones. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Can I have a witness out there? Can I have an amen? Honor your father and your mother. <laughs> and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? He knew something was still missing. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, again, is Jesus teaching that you can be perfect? Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. She said, if you want to be perfect, do this. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sad, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now just take that last line, not that full verse, but that last line, and try to remove it from this context. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Just think, think of that sentence. Outside the context. Who would ever go away sorrowful for having great possessions? He made four fatal mistakes. That if he died making these mistakes right now, he is regretting these mistakes forever. He's not, he's not regretting a lot of almost all the other mistakes he made in life. But right now, he, he died making these mistakes. He is right now in hell regretting these mistakes. Not mistakes of maybe an investment he should or shouldn't have made. Not a mistake about a friend he should have or shouldn't have. Not a mistake about saying something he might should not have shared with somebody. He's regretting these four mistakes. And I don't want anybody here to regret these mistakes. Number one, a mistake about who Jesus is. He made that fatal mistake. Look in chapter, I mean, verse 16, the very first part. He came to Jesus and said, Good teacher. He saw Jesus as what? A good teacher. And look at the verse, first part of 17. And he said to him, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me? Good. He called Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good. That is God. I want to ask you a question. Could you be mistaken about Jesus? You know, I'm going to speak to you about a, a poll that was done, but not uh, especially about this. But I hear about a lot of polls that told Christians about who Jesus is. And it's alarming how, about how many people don't, who claim to be Christians don't even know that Jesus is God. Don't even believe it. Or if they believe it, they have some erroneous idea of the Trinity. Could you be mistaken about Jesus? Most people are. The vast majority of people are. Not just in the world, but in churches. Even today, most people see Jesus as a good teacher. The majority of people in this country see Jesus as a good teacher just like this young rich ruler. He is another man born of woman. A good man. 
Probably a great man. Some would even say he is the greatest man to ever live. A great teacher with great advice. They would even say that if I'm going to take anybody's advice, it's going to be that great teacher, that great man, Jesus. But nothing more than a man. He was. That's what most people believe. Now, Jesus used the method of asking questions. When you read the Gospels, you see how Jesus reacts. He's always asking people questions. And I begin to wonder, why, why did Jesus ask questions so much? Why didn't He just tell them the way it is? Right? I mean, that's easier than it just tell somebody instead of asking questions. But Jesus used that method of asking questions because people say and believe a lot of things they have never thought through. Did you know that? People say the craziest things that they never thought through. They say things today like a man can be a woman. And they never thought it through. And when you ask them a simple question like uh, Matt Walsh did uh, on a Dr. Uh, Phil episode, these guys saying uh, that guys, men can be women, he said, would you define for me a woman? They couldn't define a woman. And yet they said a man can be, well, how can you a man can be a woman if you can't define a woman? Because if they define a woman, then what? A man can't be a, a woman. But they say the most outlandish things, and people believe the most outlandish things, and they've never thought them through. I want to encourage you to write down in your notes this book, Tactics. Like having special tactics. You know, there's a Super Bowl going on today. And each coach, and coach, set of coaches is going to have their tactics in order to what? Counter and win the game. This is a great book uh, by a Christian apologist, Greg Colton. Do not ask me to spell this last name. He with a K. But if you do tactics and Greg and start with K, it will come up. It's a great book. It's a really, really helping about asking questions. And instead of uh, telling people what they should believe, it's helping people see that what they believe makes no sense. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He got this. He wrote this book based on studying Jesus. Now Jesus dealt with people. And he uses the, uh, the, uh, the famous guy in the old television series, Columbo. Remember Columbo? He'd go in there and scratch his head. He would he'd ask somebody a quick question. Well, what? I, could, could you kind of clarify this, what you just said? And what was he doing? He was sly as a fox. And he was, you know, ultimately get to who the real killer was. So, attack us. Uh, Jesus then said, when he said, what do you call me good? He then said, there's no one good but one. That is God. Now, Jesus is clearly saying, no human being is good. Oh, right here at the start, right? So, we know when he says later, if you want to be perfect, he's not saying that you, in your human effort, can be what? Perfect. So it clearly says there is no one good but God. No human being is good. <clears throat> he is also saying by implication He is not good and therefore not God or He is good and therefore He is God. And we know the answer, the correct answer. But He is directly saying there is no one good but God. That's clear. By implication He is saying he is not good, and therefore he is not God. 
Or he is good and he is therefore God. Now what does the Bible say? You know, Jesus did not outright come, outright come out people. Why didn't Jesus ever say, I am God, fall up my feet and worship me? He never did say it that clearly, but he certainly did say it. And the scripture says in the Old Testament and New Testament that he is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when uh, the angel came to Joseph, when Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, what am I going to do? The angel came to uh, Joseph and said, Behold, the virgin, Mary, will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, and the Word was God. Right? And it goes on to say, All things were made uh, through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And it goes on to say in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. This Word that was with God and this Word that was God, the Creator, the Word that created all, that is, nothing was created apart from Him, He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the end of the, of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 28, after Jesus had died on the cross and risen again to prove that He was God, He was the Messiah, some of the disciples had seen Him, all but except one, right? What was His name? Thomas. And when they said, Thomas, We've seen Jesus. What did Thomas say? I'm not going to believe until I see, until I touch those cars. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Jesus appeared in the room. Jesus said, Thomas, touch. Did Thomas <coughs> touch? No, what did Thomas do? He fell to his knees. Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Now, he either was swearing and taking God's name in vain, or he was saying who Jesus was. My Lord and my God. What did Jesus say? Don't say that, Thomas. There's only one. No, he said, Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. So, Thomas believed rightly that Jesus was what? His Lord and his God. So, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen the empirical evidence and yet believe the evidence of Scripture and believe. So, here's the implication. Those who don't believe that Jesus is Lord and God are not blessed. Those who do believe Jesus is Lord and God are blessed. That means what? Do you bless yourself or does God bless you? It means you're blessed by God. And you need to be thanking God every day. Thank you, God, for blessing me. I wouldn't have figured this out alone. I wouldn't have known this apart from your blessing me to open my eyes and my heart and mind to see that Jesus is Lord and God. You're blessed. I really like, but a lot of people, most people don't believe this. Why? 
Do you believe it because you're smart and you figured it out? Because you're blessed. Because you're blessed. By God. Undeserving. But when it comes to people trying to talk about, well, I, I don't believe Jesus is God, uh, but I believe this or that or whatever. I really like what C.S. Lewis said about this, and I'm reading this quote. This is in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept the claim, his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or a man who says he's a woman. I'm having C.S. Lewis were alive today. He probably had that man. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can suck, shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him for a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, not, let us not come up with any of this patronizing nonsense about him being a good moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Amen? He's either what he says he is or he's not. Please do not make the mistake about Jesus being anything less than God who came to us in human flesh. What Jesus says is much more than advice from a great teacher. What Jesus says is the absolute truth for the very lips of God that you and I must obey. This rich young man, his first mistake was about Jesus. He was just a good teacher. Number two, a mistake about who you are. He made a fatal mistake about who Jesus was. He also made a fatal mistake about who he was. Don't make this fatal mistake about who you are. Look in verse 20. He said, uh, after Jesus said something about the commandments, and he said, which ones? And Jesus gave him some of the commandments. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I've kept. I've obeyed all these commandments from my youth till now. <clears throat> he really thought he did. This guy was what? He was sincere. He wasn't a jerk like a Pharisee jerk that came to Jesus trying to trap him. This guy was really what? He was being real with Jesus. He was being sincere with Jesus. But he was sincerely wrong. He thought he had kept those commandments. Now let's look about the commandments Jesus gave and why he gave the commandments and what this God thought. There are two sets of commandments in the Ten Commandments. Did y'all know that? Y'all know that two sets of commandments in the Ten Commandments. The first set involved the first commandment all the way through the fourth commandment. Who knows what they are? Let's name them real quick. What happened? No other God before us. 
What happened? No, no great image. Don't make any idols. What's another one? Don't take the Lord name and name, which Thomas was doing unless Jesus was what? Lord name. And then the fourth, fourth one is something we're doing, trying to do today. It's not really the day of remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Right? This is, uh, Jesus is our Sabbath. We're resting every day in Him. He fulfilled that uh, Saturday from Friday evening till Saturday evening, Sabbath. He fulfilled that for us. That was the picture of Him. We are resting now with Jesus from our works. We are trusting His work. So that's where we're observing the Sabbath every day and we're meeting together as Christians on the first day of the week as the early Christians did, but that was the fourth commandment. Now, this first set of commandments was summed up by the greatest commandment. What was that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? So that's the first set. Jesus didn't give this guy when he gave the, when the guy asked, well, Jesus, which commandments should I keep? He didn't give him any of these commandments. He gave him the second set of commandments. Right? The fifth from the, uh, the tenth. And Let's name this real quick. This is a review. The fifth is the one that all parents want our kids to know. Honor your father and your mother. In this first command, we promise that it may go well with you. What are some of the other ones? Not to give them an order. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't commit adultery. And that's the one that Jesus did not mention here. It was covered. But he did give the one commandment, the second greatest commandment that summed up the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you had those two sets. And Jesus, in this recording of the story, uh, gave all the ones except coveting, but he gave the, 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 the second great commandment that summed them all, all up. So Jesus uh, only gave him the second set of the Ten Commandments. What we would call the lesser set. Not that they're not important, they are bodily important, but there with this, they, are, they are involved in the second greatest commandment. And this guy didn't even live up to the lesser set. I think that's what Jesus was showing him. And he's going to show him later. He was certainly didn't live up to the first set either. Now, he sincerely thought he had kept those commandments all of his life. But he was sincerely mistaken. And also seriously mistaken. It's one thing to be sincerely mistaken. You can be sincerely mistaken about things that aren't serious. Right? He couldn't be more seriously mistaken. When you're mistaken about who you are, you're in grave, grave. Until you understand who you are, you won't know who He is and what you need from Him. Listen. It's one thing to be mistaken about your physical appearance. Have you ever been mistaken about your physical appearance? You've been out public and thought everything was okay, and then you went to the restroom and looked in the mirror, and you found out everything <laughs> wasn't okay. <laughs> yeah, how I was looking like that. <laughs> it's that's one thing to be wrong about your physical appearance. It's another thing altogether to be mistaken about your spiritual appearance before all the God. And people are that way all over the world. Seriously mistaken about their appearance before God. They think they're, they're okay with God. They're not a Jeffrey Dahmer. They're not a Stalin. They're not a uh, uh, Paul Pot. They're not any of these horrible killers and 
I don't know anything like that. But they throw okay before God. They're seriously mistaken. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah was a, was a strong God-fearing prophet in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, right? And we see in, in, in the book that bears his name that one day he went in the temple. King Uzziah had died. He went to the temple to pray to, to see God about it. And he said what? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And after he got a picture of the holiness of God, what did he say about himself? Woe is me. I'm undone. He wasn't so worried about himself. He was worried about the nation, all those sinners out there in the nation. Those people who weren't serving God the way they should. So the king Uzziah, what's going to happen to this nation? And so he's worried about, and he went, and he had an encounter with God. He didn't say so much, woe is the nation. He said, what? Woe is me. I'm undone. He didn't he got a better look at who he was before God. The people, we need to have that view of ourselves before only God. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the what? The Lord of hosts. Now I'm sure the, that the rich young man, when he compared himself with others, not that he was maybe doing it in a self-righteous way. I don't get that from this guy. I don't think he was self-righteous compared to I think he was kind of a humble God, but I think he was kind of comparing himself to others. You know, compared to others, you know, I think I'm doing a, you know, a pretty good job. I've kept all these commandments from my youth up. So I'm sure that this rich young man compared to others did a better job of keeping those commandments, right? I'm sure he did. But nevertheless, he was a great sinner, as we all are, in the eyes of holy God. You on your best day, on the very best day you had, the very best moment you had, you know what that was in the eyes of God? A filthy rag. The best of you, your best moment, your best day, or thing that you've done, the best thought you had. Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness are as filthy rags to God. You got that? Right now, Isaiah 64, 6 with your friends. It doesn't say our sins. Please understand it. It's not saying your sins are as filthy rags. It's saying your righteousness filthy rags. That's how bad we are before all this. It's not just the bad that we've done. Even the good that we've done in our sin is a filthy rag in the sight of God. And I, I will not explain what that filthy rag means here today. But look it up in the Bible. In Romans chapter 3, write this down. Romans 3.10. So if you're not making this mistake, you can use these scriptures to share with others. Romans 10, Romans 3.10 to 19 and verse 20, 23. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Yes, no one who seeks after God. So I seek after God. The only, the only reason if you ever seek after God is because why? He gave you the desire to seek after God. Because the Bible says no one, if people are seeking after God and others, it's because they're seeking after a false God that will confirm their what? Their personal prejudices. They, they're seeking a God that will agree with them. 
No one seeks after the true biblical God, the true God of the Bible. Because how do I know it? Because the Bible says it. And I've seen it play out over and over again. And the only reason we would seek the true God is because, what did Jesus say? Nobody can come to me except the Father would send me draws him. No one seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They together have become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. You think he's trying to get a point across to us in Scripture? Quit fooling yourself. No one's good. But my grandmother, your grandmother was the same compared to you. But no one does good. No, not one. Now, it says in verse 19 of chapter 3, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. There are so many people out there trying to say, I'm a good person. I do this, I do that. God certainly wouldn't send me to hell. But what does the law do? When you read the law and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to what the Bible truly really requires, what does it do to your mouth justifying yourself? It stops it. You realize you have nothing to say. You're like Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm undone. And that's why people, before, before they appreciate God loving them and Jesus dying for them, they've got to understand what? That they're a wretched sinner separated from a holy God. Even on their best day. It says Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. we got to understand, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In, in Romans 6.23, says, The wages of sin is death. We all sin, fall short, and what's our payment for it? Death. Separation from God. Now spiritually and forever eternally in a place called hell. We all fall short. But I'm not as bad as it matters. I'm going to give you this example. Let's say that that uh, we were on the edge of a cliff, okay? And here are these vicious lions. They're coming at us. They're going to eat us alive. There's a cliff over here. Now down below is this river full of hungry crocodiles. You ever seen those National Geographic shows of those animals trying to get across and out? Ooh, that's vicious, isn't it? And that's what's down below. You've got the lines up here. you got that. Our only hope is what? To get over to the other side. All right? So let's say it's, it's Chris and it's Dale and I. And uh, we're at the cliff and everything like that. And I'm telling those stories so I can tell it my way. And, uh, and, and Dale goes first. And Dale jumps. He runs. He jumps. He goes, oh! And he, he only gets about a tenth of the way over. He's, what is he? He's crocodile food. You look down below and you see the big crocodile hands that are twisted and they turn them and, and I feed. And then Chris goes, he said, well, I'm going to do better than Chris. And he goes and he gets a little bit further, but he only makes it like 25% of the way. He made it further than them, but what is he? All right, now I'm going to give it a shot. And I'm going to run it. And I'm going to jump. And I'm going to And I reach the cliff. See, I've been telling the story. I've I, I, I reached the edge of the cliff. I'm, I'm hanging on for dear life. I mean, and I start pulling myself up, and the cliff begins to what? Crumble. And I fall down below. What am I? Am I any less dead? I made it further, but I'm any less dead. I'm just as dead. And we all fall short. And it's certainly, when it talks about God, nobody gets to the edge of the cliff and almost barely hang it off. None of us. None of us gets far at all. We all fall short. 
and the wages of sin is death. Do not make a mistake about who you are. Number three, and he made a mistake about the way to have eternal life. He made a mistake about the way to have eternal life. Look at the last part of verse 16. He said, what good things shall I do that I might have eternal life? Look at the last part of verse 20. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth up. What do I lack? He thought he'd done all these things. Even though he thought he'd done all these things, he still knew something was lacking. A mistake about the way to have it life. What good thing shall I do? Isn't that the mistake? 99.9999% of the world is making today. What good thing shall I do? He thought, as everybody thinks, apart from God's grace of showing them otherwise, the only, way if you, the only reason you know otherwise then what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's because by the grace of God, He's shown you otherwise. That eternal life is something we earn. Everybody thinks it. But by the grace of God. And notice what He said. Thing, as in one. What good thing, as in one thing, am I to do to have eternal life? You know, some people believe it's one great thing will do it, right? One great thing will get... You can live a life, whatever, but if, if you do one great thing, let's say that uh, you run into a building that's collapsing and, and you're running in and you're bringing out people to save their lives and that, collapse, that building collapses on you and kills you. What are people going to say? He's a hero. He's got to be where? <coughs> or she? They've got, they've got to be where? They've got to be in heaven. They're a hero. Some heroic thing. Some great thing that they did. And that got them in the head. You know, that's what a lot of the Muslim terrorists believe, right? They live a horrible life, but if they know if they can kill some infidels and take them out with them, what do they go? With their what? With their 70 virgins. <laughs> and not be that kind of thing. One great thing I can do. One great, great thing. You know, if we if, if heaven was based on what we could do to get there, what would we be doing in heaven? We'd be breaking our arm, patting ourselves on the back, wouldn't we? Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I did to get here, right? Wouldn't we? That's what people do. I, I remember seeing a, an old commercial on Christian. I mean, not seeing it, hearing it, seeing her commercial on Hearing it on. Oh, uh, uh, commercial on Christian radio. And in this commercial on Christian radio, it was, evidently, it was a scene where uh, some people up in heaven, and they were all bragging about what they did to get there. Well, I did this. And said, well, that was nothing. Let me tell you what I did. And as they were bragging on themselves about what they did to get to heaven, this other character comes up to the group, and they all turn to him and notice he's new, and they said to him, uh, well, what did you do to get here? He said, well, I single-handedly saved a little old lady from a um, uh, gang of murderous thieves. And they said, wow, when did you do that? He said, just a minute ago. 
Of course, it was a funny commercial to make fun of people thinking they can do something to get to heaven. You know, some people believe that enough good things, not just one good thing, but enough good, will override the what? The bad, and voila, they're what? They're where? They're into heaven. People believe that it's something they do, whether it's the one great thing or enough good things that outweigh the bad things, it gets everyone believes that. You know how I know? Because every religion teaches that. I've studied all the major religions on the face of the earth in the seminary. And the cults and stuff. And I'm sure I've studied every religion, but all the major religions. And everyone believes that if you do enough good, you get to go where? To heaven. Everyone believes that. That's how I know everybody believes this apart from the grace of God. It's, it's, it's all across the world. And, and I've learned to, to, to illustrate this, and I'll give this to you and you illustrate it too. It's the do religions. Doing quotes. You do enough good, you do something noble, uh, you go to heaven. That's all the religions. And even people have taken that religious idea into what? Christianity to that. And they believe that in Christianity. But that's not what biblical Christianity teaches. Biblical Christianity is the done religion. D-O-N-E. We could do it, so Jesus what? Not done it, or did it for us. <laughs> Jesus did it for us, so we said, on the cross, what did Jesus cry as He was down on the cross paying our sins? For our sin the cross. He said what? It is done. It is finished. He did it for us. It's the done religion. So the do versus done. You just have to be able to explain to people. Because all the other religions, all the other religions are man-made. How do we know it? Because they're all the same. Even though they have very many different things about them, it all comes up to what? You do. You do enough. You make it. Christianity is the only one that's different. It's the done religion. Now, when Jesus is teaching uh, uh, of this young man here. It kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, you know, the commandments, if you want to you know, do this one. It sounds like Jesus is teaching the do religion, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like it if you take it out of context. James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, is guilty of what? Breaking it off. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't help you. The law is not there to help you. Well, if you do these things, you'll get into heaven. The law only gives you knowledge that you've broken it. But now, if the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is not new information in the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament, law and prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, who have faith. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by His blood. A propitiation means a sacrifice acceptable to God. Jesus sacrificed for our sins was sufficient for God. Please God. It was acceptable to God. 
uh, for as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? The scripture says after that. It is excluded. There's no boasting because it's not about what you did. Now there is going to be boasting in heaven, isn't there? Where will the boasting be? Huh? It would be on him, right? All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson state. He washed it white as snow. Right? It's going to be all about him. We're going to be boasting on him because of what he did. But boasting ourselves, there'll be none of that in heaven. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law and do them. For that no one should be justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So Jesus certainly is not teaching a due religion. He was going with this man and his idea of a due religion showing that what? He can't do it. It's by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 said, For by grace you are saved through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what about the works? He goes on to say, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works are a part they're not a means of salvation. They are an evidence of salvation. When God does that good work of salvation in us, He makes us new creation. And as new creation, we are doing good works through His power, His Spirit, His Word. And uh, they are good works that bring glory to God. We are His workmanship, not our workmanship. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to verse 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Why did God not send Jesus to go condemn them all? Because that already happened. The law already condemned us all. But that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes has faith in Jesus is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Listen. We're born in our sin and condemned sinners apart from Jesus. It's not like, well, I did enough sin, now I'm condemned. No, you're condemned already. Only believing in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, removes you from that uh, uh, under the law of being condemned to the law and now to be under Christ and His righteousness. What does believing in Jesus actually mean? Listen to the fourth and final mistake. What does it look like? Well, we see the fourth and final mistake. A mistake about the ultimate commitment. A mistake about your ultimate commitment. You know what faith is? Faith is not just a belief. It is a commitment. You say, well, I believe in God. I said a prayer or whatever. They may, they may have had a belief. They made, but they never made a what? A commitment. True faith is a commitment. 
where you completely commit your life to Jesus. You completely trust your life to Jesus. He made a mistake about his ultimate commitment. Are you doing that? Look at verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, and he certainly wasn't saying by you doing this in your own deeds and power. But the man wanted to roll with, I want to roll with what I can do. Since he's all about, if you want to roll with that, here's what you can do, but you can't do it. If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. A mistake about your ultimate commitment. I like what it said, and when it talked about this same story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 21. Same story, same context. And it says here in Mark 10, 21, after the young man said, I've kept all these for my lack yet. It said, then Jesus looked at him, loved him. It doesn't say that here. Remember, some reason Matthew didn't include what Mark did. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. What does that mean? Jesus loved him. Jesus loves everybody. Well, I mean, if he loves anybody, it's because of his, because he's loved. It's not because we're lovable. Why did he love him? Jesus knew that this guy was not like one of the Pharisees trying to entrap himself righteous, egotistical hypocrites. This guy was that genuine, genuine, he was genuinely seeking, wasn't he? I think he was. Jesus loved him and said, you know what, when you love people, you tell them the what? You tell them the truth. Sometimes you, you don't tell people the truth because you love yourself when you love them. And you don't want them to be what? Mad at you. Not like you. So rather than loving them more, you love yourself And when I say that and point one finger, guess what's pointing back to me? Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. And he did. But not the way that not big people interpret this. You've got to do this. Jesus was summoned the one thing you lack. And it's the ultimate commitment. Is that what was one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. That's the way, and then also in the Gospel of Mark, he included that phrase, take up your cross. Where Matthew didn't see that. Come, follow me. <clears throat> now, it's not saying that you can earn your way into heaven by doing this. That's people mistake. It's, 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 that's what faith in Jesus means. It's an ultimate commitment. You believe, and your belief is an ultimate commitment. It doesn't earn you salvation. It, it shows, it proves you have salvation. Now, Jesus calls us to a total commitment. You've got to understand that. And when you share with others, if you don't understand this, you need to understand this. If, if you do understand it, you need to make sure people you share with, they understand this. Jesus is not just asking you to say a prayer and ask Him into your heart. 
As we hear so much today, just say a prayer that has Jesus in your heart. Jesus is asking and demanding a total commitment. He's not asking you to join a Burger King religion. You know what a Burger King religion is, don't you? Don't you? What is it? Have it your way. And this guy was trying to have it his way in a sense. Yeah, hey, I'm okay with keeping these commandments and trying to be religious. I'm good with believing God. I'm good with giving. I'm good with doing this. I'm good with doing that. And, and uh, he was good with a lot of things about following Jesus, right? But there was one thing he wanted left off his burger. It was onions. I mean, I mean that's what I want left off. Mine, I don't like that. But there was something he wanted left off his burger, right? There was something he wanted left off his deal, right? That's why I like Burger King. I can have, I love having that in my way. I'm picky on this end. She smiles. I'm picky. I want it my way. And a lot of people won't miss their way, but you can't. Jesus calls for a total commitment. The way it comes is the way it comes. No alterations. We don't like that, do we? Especially in America. The rich guy had somewhat of a commitment to God. He is so much like many people today attending churches. They're fine with doing some things. When it comes to doing maybe a this or that, they're not in with that. And this guy, there was one thing he was not in with. He was in with everything until Jesus said what? Sell all that you have. He went away sad because of what? He had great possessions. It didn't say he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. It just said he wasn't willing to do what? It implied he was just with the money thought, money thing, the possession thing. You know, there was, a, there was an extensive pew form study done recently that did study thousands of people in America. And did y'all know that 65% of the population in America According to this very scientific uh, survey and study, 65% claim to be a Christian. When they were given Muslim, uh, 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 Jewish, or you know any kind of uh, Hindu or witchcraft, any kind of they were given all these things to choose, 65% chose Christian identifies Christian as Christian, Christianity. Now, do you kind of look around and think? I'm not seeing anything like those numbers. Or is that just me? <laughs> I'm not seeing anything like those numbers. And I'm not patting myself on the back. You can be what I, I am what I am by the grace. But apart from the grace of God, I'd be all. I don't want to think about that. But so it's not a I look around. I'm not, I'm not seeing a 65%. But Barner, the Barner American Worldview Initiative, Barner Studies, they did a, a very detailed in-depth study also. And when they were trying to find how many Americans have a biblical worldview, a Christian biblical worldview, not just a biblical, but a Christian biblical worldview. Because one thing is say you're a Christian, it's another thing what? It's really big one. Your, your heart and mind has been changed, and now you see the world as what? As God revealed in Scripture. You know what the percentage was? Six. Six percent. Now, 65% said, I'm a Christian. But only 6% had a biblical world, Christian biblical worldview. They made a mistake about their ultimate commitment. 
And you can't come and just say, well, I'll take this and take this, but I'm not having that. <clears throat> Jesus said to this, to this young man, <clears throat> He said, you're either all in or you're out. Well, I've, I've got 99 things. You're either all in or you're what? You're out. It's either a total commitment or you're out. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're willing to God, you want Jesus to be Lord of every aspect and area of your life. You're either all in or you're out. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The rich young man bit off more than he was willing to chew. Right? You ever done that? Your parents ever tell you that? Well, you bit off more than you could chew, right? When he wanted to. He bit off more. He thought he wanted it, but when he bit it off, he said, this is more than I can handle. This is more than I can chew. And he walked. Spit it out walked away. His ultimate commitment was to himself and his possessions. Jesus knew that. He didn't just tell him that lot off, but Jesus knew that, and he proved it to him. Not to humiliate him like Jesus often humiliated the water. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the insincere, self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus humiliated them. He called them what? Snakes and vipers. Uh, tombs of dead men's bones. White on the outside, but dead on the inside. But Jesus was having this conversation with this man to lead him to the point to see this, to help him see it. You know, just because you tell somebody something doesn't mean they see it. And we see Jesus. Jesus was helping the man see it for himself. By asking questions, getting him to think these things through. That's why I tell you to look at that book, Tactics. You know, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, Jesus lovingly led him to the truth about his situation. He did not simply tell him the truth, he led him to the truth about his situation in this conversation. Now, I don't know if this is true. I do know this is in church history. Do you know who some believe, according to church history, this young man turns out to be? We see him in the book of Acts. Name begins with a B. Son of encouragement. None other than Barnabas. Some of the early church fathers who were disciples of the first disciples and made that claim that this young man was Barnabas. I hope so. Don't you want to see this young man in heaven one day? Isn't it going to be neat today one day to be in heaven and to talk to some of these Bible characters and find out the story and how it ended? I hope this guy, maybe he walked away sad, but I hope, I really hope he did turn back around to Jesus and maybe it could be Barnabas. What do we see Barnabas doing in the New Testament? At the early church, when many were being persecuted, losing their families, being kicked out of their homes, losing their jobs, they were need. What did we find Barnabas doing? Selling his land, his possessions, to give, lay to the apostles' feet, to, to give to the church for those who had need. Isn't that awesome? I hope it is. I, I really want to find that out. Barnabas. How many of you here today would be sorrowful for having great possessions? How many of you would be sorrowful? Man, my house is paid off. 
the savings account for, for three years and you know I can live on that and then I got my retirement. <laughs> Such a big baby. Who's going to be soft about that? Nobody in their right mind. He was sorrowful. He walked away sorrowful because why? He walked away from this. Jesus. Now, how many of you would be sorrowful then if you had all of that but didn't have Jesus? No one wants you to know that. What about this? Would you be sorrowful if you had little to no possessions but you had Jesus? Now, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't like losing my house and my means of transportation and losing all that. And guess what, guys? The way things are moving, we can lose some of that stuff for our beliefs. You know, they're telling people you can't use this place or stay at these places because you attend certain conferences. You believe a certain way. Y'all know that's happening with like Airbed, Airbnb, and all these kind of things. And and they're getting out there where they can crack down on your lifestyle and take away things. You lose your job. You can lose all your stuff. Are you willing to lose it all and still have Jesus? I am. I'm willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, well, take it all, but you can't take Jesus? Would you still have joy if the whole world took everything you had, but you still had Jesus? Now, again, I won't like it, but I still, I'll have joy in my soul because I still have I still have Jesus. For what saying of Jesus would you go away sorrowful? I, I would go away sorrowful anything Jesus says. Oh, really? Now, then, I, I don't believe any of you would go away sorrowful if, if Jesus told you to do something with your money or whatever. I would hope you would. So I wouldn't go away sorrowful. You know, if, if Jesus told me to, to do that, I, I would do it. I, like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? When he met Jesus, he, Jesus came to his house. Zacchaeus was born again. Zacchaeus all of a sudden said, Lord, I'm going to give half of everything that I have. He was happy. I'm going to give half of everything I have. And I'm going to give it to the poor. And he said, Lord, if I, as a tax collector, did anybody any wrong, I'm going to give them four times the amount that I took from them. And he was excited about it. What did Jesus say? Salvation's come to this house today. This guy had a heart change. He was happy about giving his stuff. If that's what he was just so full of joy of, of the Lord, and he would do that. He had a new heart. He knew he had greater riches in Jesus. Over what would you walk away from Christ said today? Now here's where we wrap it up with this. Jesus not only said to him, go and sell and give, he walked away sad because he had great possessions. That's evident. The only problem that he had to wait ahead with it. I think he had been willing to walk. Supposedly walk with Jesus like the other disciples. You know, after this, the other disciples said, when the preacher came goes, Lord, we left all to follow you. What do we get? So I think he might have been willing to follow Jesus like these disciples were doing. The only problem he had was what? That we know of was the money situation. Great possessions. But Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Right? Last Sunday, Pastor Paul talked about Jesus bearing our sins, suffered outside the camp. 
suffered outside the camp. Bearing our sins, because that's the way the Old Testament law, he became sin, they had taken outside the camp. It was unclean. He suffered outside the camp. But in another way, that was meant in Hebrews. The religious crowd, the self-righteous religious people, the do, the do religion, rejected Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so they wanted him outside the camp. And so the Hebrew writers said, what? Well, let us. Let us go outside the camp with him. If they didn't want Jesus, they don't want me. If they didn't like Jesus, they're not going to like me. If they hated Jesus for Jesus telling the truth, though they would step in, get in line, hate me. Let us go outside the camp bearing this reproach. He said, take your cross, follow me. When he said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And here's the point. How many times have you walked away from a Bible study or walked out of this church with a certain synthesizing about sharing the gospel? And you walked away and said, I know I should do that, but I know I really I'm not going to do that. How are you any different than that rich man? Yeah, I know I should give away. And I've been off more than I can choose. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to have a Burger King religion. Hey, you interrupt me. Well, why, why, why wouldn't you? Why, why, why are you determined you're not going to share the gospel? That guy had great possessions. Maybe you have great fear. I'm. You walk away sad because you have great fear. You know your fear is great. Or maybe you have great pride. I want people to think I'm a religious nut. Whatever. Jesus said, what? You're either all in or you're out. Or you're out. Follow me. Take me across. Follow me. Go with me outside the camp, bearing the reproach. Follow me, being a fisher of men. That's not all I commitment to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you will be the best in the world, but that you are going to share the gospel with those who are lost. You're going to help the people you know. If you've not made these four mistakes, you're going to help them not make it. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for another day of life that you've given us. And in this day of life, you've given it to us for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose is to gather together to worship you, to sing these songs, deep, rich, scriptural truth, to pray together, to fellowship together, to study your word together, to encourage one another, to help us to take your word and and, and, and uh, not more just learn it, but help, able to apply it to our life and to live it out in our lives today. And I pray that this day would not be in vain for any of us here. I pray if there's any one here today, like this rich young ruler, Sincere, I don't think anybody would be here unsincere, but sincere but sincerely wrong. I pray by your grace and your mercy you would open their eyes to the truth and draw them to a true faith in Jesus Christ and a true commitment to Jesus being more than God. And those of us who have, Lord, understand that commitment means to follow you. And that means to follow you to the point where we're being fishers of men. And if the world doesn't like uh, what you had to say, they're not going to like what we have to say. And we're willing to 
suffer with that. We're willing to deal with that. But we, whether they like it or not, we're going to follow you. And we're going to be true to the gospel in a world that's lost and dying and needs the gospel. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.